You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. Thank you for joining us as always. I am your host, Amanda White. You can follow me on Twitter at awhite7877. I am joined as always by my spectacular co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, you... <laughs> you can follow them on Twitter at DCNatJack, which you should already be doing. And you can follow the show at Half Street High Heat. Uh, we are doing this, as always, for the DMV Sports Network. You can check them out at dmvsportsnetwork.com and on Twitter at dmv underscore sn to check out the daily content about all things local sports and college sports. So how you guys doing? How was your week? Um, you I know, got it was burnt. Sunburnt <laughs> everywhere. Oh, a sunburnt week. It's been hot yeah. as hell. Yeah, Nick learned that sunscreen is important because he is not tougher than the sun. Oh, uh, you're not I kidding. Am. You're really sunburned. <laughs> no, it's mainly just on my arms. It turns into tan pretty quickly anyway, so Ooh, kind of a oh, badass. Nice. Ooh, yeah. I got so sunburned <laughs> last year at the Caps Championship Parade because we showed up there at like 6 a.m. so we could get a good spot. Same. And <laughs> we didn't bring any sunscreen, and I had a hellish Same. sunburn that lasted for weeks. I mean, you were just rocking the red. That's all. I was. Yeah, I made yeah. that joke so many times. Yeah. Well, yeah. I said it on recording first, so I get credit. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay, so let's get right into it. Ryan, can you give us our weekend recap around the NL East? Yes, first, the weekend recap. So I made an executive decision. I am no longer going to say anything about the Marlins because they have absolutely nothing going for them, except for when they played the Phillies because they beat the Phillies five straight times. Uh, they went five and one against yes. them this week. They are thirty-two and fifty, and I will only say the record going forward. Everyone's heard of keeping up with the Kardashians. Well, welcome to Major League Baseball, where we have keeping up with the Mets. 
last week on Keeping Up with the Mets. We all heard about the clubhouse incident with the reporter telling Mickey Calloway, see you tomorrow. He didn't like that very much. So the Mets PR team got all three of them in the room, recorded it, and released a, released a written statement of the... <laughs> There were so many R's in there. Damn it, so many R's. I mean, it, I, I understand Ryan R is one of the most menacing letters, so. It really is. It sucks. Every time I say my name, I stutter on it. Ian. <laughs> All right, so, uh, are we leaving this in or are we going to start over from keeping up with the mess <laughs> uh, I don't know I'll, I'll start depends how I'm feeling <laughs> alright anyways well so we heard about the clubhouse incident with the reporter Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas because the reporter Colt said see you tomorrow Mick Mickey did not like that they got all three of them into a room they recorded, released a written statement about it. Uh, the only problem is Mickey Calloway and Jason Vargas did not apologize for what they did because they didn't say anything wrong with it. They just basically just recapped the situation and they didn't make anything up. Uh, the drama doesn't stop there. Reports came out that Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen, however you say his last name, was Wagenen. texting Mets. Wagonen was texting Mets coaches during games on decisions that needed to happen, oftentimes going against what Mickey Calloway wanted to do. I don't know what you guys, but that's not someone who has a lot of trust in their head coach. And then we fast forward to Wednesday. Noah Syndergaard liked the tweet from a Mets fan that said Calloway has to have incriminating pictures of uh, BVW because there's no other way he could survive this long. And then no drama on Thursday and Friday, so shout out to the Mets. We fast forward to Saturday. The Mets had a tribute ceremony honoring the 1969 World Series champions, the Amazing Mets. Um, the ceremony included a very nice touching tribute to the Mets players who are no longer with us. There's only one problem. Two players who were on the field during that time looked up on the screen and saw pictures of themselves with dates when they died. They didn't die. They're still alive. Shout out to the Mets. And um, yeah, they also play baseball this week, and they are 37 and 47. That's what happened on this week's episode of Keeping Up with the Mets. I'm sure next week's episode will be just as good. The Nationals' hot run continues. They swept the lowly Marlins despite their bullpen's best efforts to blow it. The bullpen successfully did blow one game against the Tigers, and then Max Scherzer had this be absolute god, throwing 115 pitches, striking out 14 in eight innings to beat the Tigers eight. Sorry, two to one. They took two of three from them. They are 42 and 41. They had the best record in baseball since May 20th, the third best in offense in the NL during that span, and suddenly are two games out from the wild card. The Phillies had a wild week. Things kept going terrible as they got swept by the Marlins, and then they played the Mets, which happened to write everything as they swept them. The Mets had a two-run lead in the eighth inning or later in every single game, and a different reliever blew each one, which is one of the most impressive things I've ever heard. And then they lost the first two games to the Marlins, losing five straight. They are in second place, and they're 44-40. and 40. I mentioned Nationals having the best record in baseball since May 20th. 
The only bad news with that is the Atlanta Braves have the third best record in baseball in that same span, and they have the best offense in baseball over that time. The Braves split with the Cubs, which was 100% a future matchup of the NLDS. They took advantage of the Mets where they swept them. Um, actually, they're playing right now, but the Mets are going to lose because the Mets suck. Uh, the Braves are young. They are deep. They are very good. The Braves will run this division for the foreseeable future. They are 50-34. and 34. So that is the NL East. Now we look to around baseball with another month coming to an end with July getting ready to start. MLB sends Red Sox and Yankees to London. They see several records. Most runs combined in MLB game. Most runs scored in two games in Red Sox history. Most people in attendance at a baseball game at 59,000 people. And they also had a pretty big win in the ratings. So I guarantee you baseball will continue going back to London and they will also explore other countries because this two-game series was a huge success for the sport. Christian Yelich leads a star-studded MLB home run derby field. Everyone's excited about that, except for Big Cat. Um, Pedro Shrope calls <laughs> Yasiel Puig stupid after he charged the mound. Reporters said uh, Puig was waiting for Shrope after the game, but was informed he was in front of the umpire's room because he is stupid. Pauses for laughter. Albert Pujols homers in his first and last return to St. Louis in the very emotional three-game series. And that was the month of baseball for June. It was a pretty quiet month. And there you have it. There you have it. Well, is it bad that I wish that Mike Rizzo would make some text messages or send some texts to Davey with some decisions he wants him to make in games? <laughs> yeah, I would like an anyone idiot. except... Davey to make some of those decisions. And also, my takeaway is that Max Scherzer is a golden god after today. He's, what a run that guy's on. But we will yeah. get to him in a bit. We will get to him in a bit. So let's move on to our good, the bad, and the ugly segment. We're going to do it the traditional way this week. And start out with the good, Anibal Sanchez. Um, since returning from the IL, he looked pretty rough to start the season. But since he came off the IL, he's made six starts. 35.1 innings pitched, nine earned runs in that time, and that's a 2.31 ERA. Not bad for your fourth guy. I mean, this yeah, is who Good. Rizzo thought he signed. Like, it, it took a while because he was, you know, 0-6 with a 6 ERA, but this is who the Nats thought they signed, and he's finally going into a pretty good form. I mean, he's given up nine runs over the last six starts, and four of those were in one start, so I mean, He's pitching six innings, one or two runs every single time, and I'd take that 100 out of 100 times from the number four guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think – so Sanchez has kind of taken the role of being the, the stabilizer in the rotation, and whereas Max normally has to do that because everyone around him, like, crumbles and he has to be the stabilizer – now Max has been able to kind of take his game to the next level, as we've seen by his past, what, like, month and a half. Just insane numbers, because he knows that he doesn't have to do everything in the rotation. He doesn't have to be the guy. He still is the guy, but now he doesn't have to try to be that. He can just go out there and be a, a be golden awesome. god, like some people say. Um, <laughs> but no, San Sanchez has been amazing. He's been a stabilizer. Like Ryan said, he's been exactly what Rizzo thought he was getting when we invested in him. Um, but yeah, it, it's nice to finally see that pan out and it not turn into another Trevor Rosenthal. Yeah, yeah we don't need any more Trevor Rosenthal. 
<laughs> he got picked All up right, by the so Tigers. I saw I that in a minor yeah. league deal. Yeah, well, it's I mean, good luck to him and to them. Nine the million to play in the minors, so. Yeah. Adam, that, Adam Eaton will hurt. say the minor league system's not broken. <laughs> uh, we don't have we don't have enough time in this podcast for the Adam Eaton conversation. So. No, I just, we will I move on. Throw that in there. I know. He's taken the place of Jason Worth for all the easy digs these days. <laughs> God. Anyway, let's talk about the bad, which is Trey Turner, who has not looked great lately. Um, in his last seven games, his flash line is 250, 294, 375. Woof. Um, eight hits, one homer, four RBIs, and nine strikeouts. You know, I don't really have an issue with him being 250 in the last week, but oh my God, he's a leadoff guy with an on base below 300. Oof, like F in the chat. Yeah. That is terrible. Yeah, yeah, that's not okay. Ryan hit it right on the head. Like it, your on or excuse me, your batting average doesn't matter so much from the leadoff position. It's your on base percentage and the fact that it's below three hundred. Which yeah, three hundred's a pretty good on base percentage, but you want it high three hundreds if you're a leadoff guy. And he's just not really putting the ball in play. He has nine strikeouts in the last seven, which I mean maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean it's more than once a game. And, like, that's not very good. And so, um, I, yeah, he's just struggling right now, and I still just don't think he's a leadoff guy. I understand you want his speed on the base pass, but if he's not getting on base, he can't steal. He also yeah, doesn't work the count, exactly right. so, like, it's yeah, so frustrating. He's not a leadoff guy. <laughs> Agreed. Right, and we've said that since the beginning of, you know, we've talked about that way earlier in the season, how it would have been better to see Eaton Turner than Turner Eaton. And I know Eaton is a bad word for you guys right now. But I'd rather see him hitting leadoff. His his on base percentage for the season right now is three sixty three, which you know isn't isn't stellar. It's not jumping off the page at you, but That's it's a hell of a lot better mm-hmm. than yeah. I mean, it's good. It's leadoff good. He should be the one leading off. I mean, at least like I don't like. It. I mean, it's very obvious, but like he works the count. He will see pitches. He'll draw out the bats, and like that's kind of what you need from a leadoff guy. Like, if your leadoff guy strikes out, that's fine. But if he had a 7-8 pitch at bat, that's a great at bat. Trey Turner mm-hmm. striking out 3-4 pitches, or he's popping up on the very first pitch right now. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he can't really grip the bat fully because right. his finger's still not fully healthy. So, like, that's going to improve over time. But it's just right now they're they're in, like, a crucial stretch of their schedule. They're hot. They're still winning. But the lineup can still go even further if Trey starts to click again. It can, and but honestly, the why of, of why he's not hitting doesn't really matter. It's the results, and right now the results are that Adam Eaton should be leading off, and he should be hitting second, and or even lower maybe. I do like his speed up there at the top, but if he's gonna, you know, it just seems right now, like you said, he can't grip the bat, and I don't know, keeping him up at the top of the rotation doesn't make sense. He can round into form in another spot. He doesn't have to be leading off in order to do that. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's nice in theory to have speed at uh, out of the leadoff spot with Trey, but I mean, if the actuality isn't like coming through, then what's the point? Like, it's just like right. an easy out. At you this said point. if he's not on base, then you don't have his speed on the base path. So yeah, I know. So it just makes yeah. no sense. Like D- Davy, Davy has a new lineup every single day, but yeah, he can't find the one thing he needs to change. 
and that that's moved Trey down in the lineup. Indeed. Okay, let's Idiot. move on to the ugly, which is interesting. Um, it's Matt Adams this week, who you know he hits a lot of he hits a lot of big he gets a lot of big hits, a lot of clutch hits. So it doesn't seem maybe like it's as ugly as it is, but when you look at his numbers, it's not good. Um, in the past week for him, it's the splash lines two seventeen, two fifty, six oh nine, because of those homers. Um, three home runs, eight RBIs, five strikeouts, and five hits. Yeah, that I is mean, that is a slash line. Oh, sorry, Nick, for someone who's going to come off the bench. Like he's just hitting home runs. He's not really providing anything with defense. And like all these people are freaking out on Twitter right now. Like, oh my God, how are you going to sit Matt Adams for Ryan Zimmerman? Matt Adams isn't that good. He'll hit a nice home run. That's called coming off the bench. Granted, Howie Kendrick should start at first base, but that's a separate conversation. But Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Matt Adams hitting in place of Zim in the eighth inning last night when he was left in for some inexplicable reason against their reliever. But that, again, is a separate conversation. Yeah, I mean, it just makes the playing Zim easier i guess i mean take that as you will but adams isn't providing what we hyped up or thought and so that just it's like a next man up thing so whether hopefully it is howie because howie's been consistent he's been great um he's been all-star worthy all season long um but zim is zim and he means a lot to the franchise and so now that he's back i don't know how much he will be playing. I'm sure they'll try to ease him back in and he won't play every day or anything, but he's certainly going to get a lot of opportunities because of who he is Agreed. and because of, uh, because of how Adams is playing recently. Yeah, but I still think it doesn't make, yeah, like you said, off the bench, Ryan is a good, that's a guy you can use off the bench, but it's, I don't know. I just feel like you have to use him off the bench. You can't just leave Zim in in situations like they did last night. I'm I'm happy Zim's back. I hope Zim gets on one of those hot streaks that we all love to see. I have no idea whether that will happen or not, but there are still times where you need to see Matt Adams. And somebody needs to explain that to Davey Martinez, apparently. <laughs> all right, so let's let's move on and talk about whether or not it's okay to talk about playoffs at this point. Of course, on Twitter, there's always a... Um, a group of fans who are, you know, ride or die. This team's going to the, <laughs> this team's going to the World Series. And then there's the people who say, no matter how good they get it, it doesn't matter. It's like those major, the guy in Major League who says, well, they'll blow it in the playoffs. Like, there's always a little bit of both. But what do you guys think? What are your playoff well, feelings right now? <clears throat> Whenever the Nats win, people think this team is the greatest team of all time. Whenever they lose, everyone just absolutely <laughs> loses their mind. It's so annoying. But, like, there were three games under 500, and people were talking about how this team was in the middle of, like, a pennant race. The division's done. Like, they're they're not winning the division. Like, they're, they're what, 20 and 10 over the last 30, and they've only gained a game and a half during that span. The division's too little too late. They still have like five teams that are ahead of them, even though it's only two games back for the top spot. That's a lot of teams to chase in the wild card, and that's five teams that have deeper farm systems in them. It's going to take Davey being good and the rest of the bullpen figuring out because they're going to they're gonna buy at the deadline. And they can't make six different moves for relievers because their bullpen's terrible. So, like, I mean, the wild card technically is reasonable. I don't think it's going to happen. But that's just me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point because right now you have, excuse me, uh, Chicago and Milwaukee. Granted, one of those um, teams will win the division, uh, most likely if it's not uh, St. Louis. But, I mean, between those two and St. Louis, all three of them are going to buy at the deadline. That's just the winning competitive nature of those teams. They're all going to buy. So, in theory, they're all going to get better in the next month or so. And then the other teams you have, Colorado, who could buy, could sell, depends on how they feel. Philadelphia, who obviously invested a lot of money in the offseason, and they've made trades throughout the season so, thus far. So all indications point that, to the fact that they will be buying at the deadline as well. Then you have San Diego, as Ryan said, has a super deep farm system. And if they want to go out there and make a deal, um, they will. And they have every... They can outbid anyone pretty much because they have back end of a farm system. Um, and maybe it couldn't, it might not even be a move to win this year. It might be like a longer term move uh, for like a, a starting pitcher like they've wanted forever. And that's why you've seen them link to Max and Strauss. And uh, the most recent one I saw is Marcus Stroman, which he's having a great year. He's actually just named an all star. So adding him to their rotation obviously would bolster them. And they're ahead of us right now. Or, well, I guess after our win today, we're tied. But still, it's another team we would have to compete with. And Arizona's right behind us. St. Louis is right behind us. So, I mean, yes, we're two games out of the wild card, or game and a half now, but that there's still a lot that needs to happen, and there's still a lot of competition um, that's not in our division that we have to deal with. And that it's just be, games early on in the season matter. So we dug ourselves into a hole, and this is where we're at now. So, yes, like, if you look at just us compared to the second wildcard team, yeah, we're game and a half back, but it's not that simple. No, it's not Eight that simple. Eight teams within two games of the wildcard. Yeah. yeah, it's really the thick of the wildcard um, competition is crazy. I actually have to say, though, Ryan, I'm not 100% prepared to say that the division is out of reach. I don't think there's a very good chance that they're going to catch the Braves oh at this God. point. But after seeing what they just did, we all said a month ago, all three oh of us on this podcast, God. they can't play 600-plus baseball. There's no way this team can do it, and they've been doing it for a month. So, well, what they do against I the don't Braves, know. Though. There's a lot of baseball left <laughs> to be played. What they did against the Braves was they dropped go two one, or three. take one. Right, they dropped two or three, but they could have won all those games. They but were they ahead did. in all those games, but they but did. The, yeah, but then what Obviously, happened? the bullpen blew it. Right, and that to me the is why this team it. like won't but be. But until cause... I see what the learners and Rizzo do at the deadline, whether they buy a little bit, whether they buy a lot, whether they decide they're gonna actually make a run and and you know, blow past the luxury tax threshold. I don't know. I'm not prepared to really make a prediction about what could happen until I see what they do at the deadline, because this team has way outperformed what any of us thought they could in the past month. I mean, you just got done telling us they played the best baseball in, in the major leagues since May 20th. So even with a crappy bullpen, they've pulled off a hell of a lot of wins and been playing really good baseball. So, you know, it may be that What's happening right now is where everything stays, but 81 games or 80 games to go is a lot of baseball. In terms of the division, yeah, I agree with Ryan. It, it's complete. It's done. Like that's just the way it is when you dig yourself into a hole early in the season. And yeah, we've been playing 600 baseball uh, recently in the past month or so. The Braves have been playing 600 baseball pretty much all season. They're at a 595 win clip right now, and, and they may continue to, or they might. 
they may get a bunch of injuries like we did early in the season. You just don't know. It's just so long. Oh. There's so much season left. Here you go with all the like, what ifs? Well, if this happens, this could happen. This happened. This happened. What? I mean, yeah, but the that's Braves that's are called deeper. predictions. That's what happens. The, the, with predictions. That's that's not a pre- that's not a prediction. That's <laughs> saying, oh, that's a that's literally the opposite of a prediction. You're not committing. You're not committing to anything. You're saying this could happen or this could happen. This could happen. You're not. My prediction is that I don't think the, that necessarily they have lost the division yet. I think they probably That's have. Not a prediction. And I think they're going <laughs> to, I, th- yes, it is. The uh, prediction I, is I think I... they probably come in second in the division, but I don't okay, think it's outside the realm of possibility that they, that's a prediction. Yeah. Right. But oh, I man. don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. You guys were a hundred percent sure you know, a month ago that this team was completely cooked. There's no chance they could even think about the playoffs. And here we are four, four episodes later talking about the playoff chances. So oh, I, I still change. don't think they're making the playoffs. I still think they should sell regardless at the deadline. My stance hasn't changed whatsoever. No, my, right. my no I'm not saying that's changed, changed but the fact that we're talking about the playoffs has changed. Well, and we're not talking about they, it because I think we, a... we believe it. We're well, talking about it because we have to. Well, they finally <laughs> took advantage of their schedule, which is something they never do. And like, they start July with six games against the team that's going to number two and number four pick in the draft. They just played team number three pick in the draft. And then after that, their July is brutal. Everything evens yeah, out. They do have and that started off terrible. It evened out to 500. They're 500 last year. They're at 500 now. And then they have a tough schedule up until the deadline. So, like, again, like we've said this like 20 times, they're still going to learn more about this team. But when you've played your 2010 over the last 30 games, the best record in May, and you've only game, gained a game and a half in the division, it's kind of like what more else can you do to like catch this team? Because the last time you played them, your biggest flaw was very much on display, and you blew two to three games against them. You have seven games against them in July. Who says the same thing's not going to happen? And it's just like every right. time you play but a again, good I guess- team – yeah, I'm just looking at it from a different perspective, which is that they were competitive in those games and they could have won them both. <clears> and if they can, you know, if, if their bullpen can perform a little better, then they might take some of those. So I don't know. I just, I'm not I as mean, pessimistic as you guys are about it. It is big a big ask. ask. I'm not saying it'll happen, but I'm saying it could have happened. They were up in those games and the bullpen has gone through a stretch where they were excellent. And now they're in a stretch where they're not again. So who the hell knows well, what like we're going to see the next time we play. Well, yeah. Right, but who knows they which version of them the we're going to see the next time we play the, the Braves. You know what I mean? We don't know. Well, I mean, but the conversation could be different see... in a month. Yeah, just because, looking at yeah. the splits, I mean, the Nats are 21 and 19 at home and 21 and 22 away. So it's not like we are amazing at home and suck on the road. It's just we're a mediocre team right now, or like we have been all season. Not right now. Um, or we're playing good baseball right now, but it's just – that's how things are. It's, and yeah, the pitching can be great. One stretch in the bullpen, bullpen can be bad and the starting pitching can be so-so. One stretch in the bullpen can be great. Like this team has not put it all together yet. Even during the stretch, like the bullpen's been very shaky at best. So I don't yeah, s- I agree. see how we can make this like stretch run into a playoff position. And all the other teams ahead of us or right around us are in a much better position to buy at the deadline than we are, unless we're selling like major pieces, which I don't think we could I don't do think because we only have like one or two at yeah. this point. 
now that there's even a chance of a playoff berth, I don't think there's, I don't think they're going to, I don't, didn't think they were really going to be sellers at the deadline anyway, but now that there's a chance to make the playoffs, I don't think they will. Yeah. And that's kind of the real conversation at this point, because I mean, if they like stand pat, they don't buy, but they don't sell at the deadline, just a couple of minor moves. We're still screwed because Rendon could walk for nothing, which all signs point to that happening. And we have nothing. Yeah, that's going to be and hard that's to two take. years in a row. And yeah, we're just screwed it for the future, which is how it's going to be because we just well, stand I, pat. Yeah. I, I will say I'm eager to see this post all-star game break stretch because it's been fun to watch them on this, you know, this nice streak they've been on, but <laughs> we're going to see who they really are when things get hard again. We've seen them improve immensely in the past month. And then we're going to find out when they face some really stiff competition, are they as good as they've looked in the past month? Because after the All-Star break, they have three in Philly. I'll be at that series. They have two versus the Orioles, nice. should sweep. Four against the Braves, four against the Rockies, three against the Dodgers, and then they finish up to the deadline with three more against the Braves. All those teams, except for the Orioles, are contending for playoff spots. So that'll be fun. Fun is one word for it. I'm going to need See, alcohol to get through that. Hey, <laughs> meaning, meaningful baseball. I did not think they would have meaningful baseball. You know what? It's a good point. It's better to be relevant than irrelevant, no matter how hard it is to watch. All right. So um, let's move on. And before we get to the next section, let me remind all of you fine people listening that we are doing this podcast for the DMV Sports Network. And we're part of their library of podcasts. There are shows about all the major sports teams in the area and two mixed bag shows called It's About Time DC and The Dominant Thunder Show. If you don't already subscribe to those, you really should. They are awesome. So please be sure to check them out and uh, please subscribe to our show as well. So um, we have something really cool for you guys next, which is that Nick and Ryan this week, I wasn't, um, wasn't involved in it, but they did an interview with Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. And so we are going to play that for you now. What's up, everyone? Uh, we're joined here by Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. Thank you for listening. Uh, Jesse, how's life in Miami doing for you right now? <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to have you. Um, so we're just going to dive right on in. Uh, I think Nick's going to get started with our first question. Yeah. So um, for those who didn't see, Jesse, you posted an article regarding uh, Sean Doolittle and how effective his essentially one-pitch tactic has been for the better part of his career um we've been very outspoken on the fact that one pitch doesn't seem to work uh for a lot of guys Doolittle is kind of in that sense because he has been able to make work and that forcing fastball is kind of shocking um, when you think of just having one pitch, because it's not like a Jordan Hicks fastball that's like 105 miles an hour, or Chris Hale slider that like it's literally just a straight four seam fastball. How Sean Doolittle has been able to make a flat, low effective for the better part of his career. Yeah, sure, and I appreciate you reading that. Um, it's interesting, like you said, like even if you think about the sort of premier one-pitch relievers right now in baseball, because, of course, there really aren't any one-pitch starters. It would be impossible. But mm-hmm. with one-pitch relievers in baseball, it's like you think of Zach Britton and his sinker. You think of Kenley Jansen and his cutter. 
And as you mentioned, um, those pitches move a lot, whereas right. Sean's fastball is essentially a straight fastball. I mean, sometimes it has a little bit of cut to it. He actually tries not to cut it because he loses some velocity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really tail at all. I mean, it, it, a little bit sometimes. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's physics of why it's been able to be effective. I think there's a ton of deception on that pitch, um, which explained in the article is uh, not to not to bore you with too much of it, but, like, it actually gets <laughs> – about a 90 degree spin axis, which if you think about that means it's spinning almost entirely sideways as it goes to the plate. And that means Mm -hmm. it doesn't really ever change planes. Whereas most pitches, uh, they almost, they come down. Like if you thought like almost like a ramp, um, like like a slight down ramp, whereas Doolittle's pitch really just stays flat. So if you're a batter and you're seeing his pitch at the top of the zone, you're going to assume that that's coming down because almost, you know, 90% of pitches you see at least have some drop have some sort of ramp effect. Whereas Sean's is going to stay up. So you're swinging at that saying, this is going to hit my sweet spot right at the top of the zone. I'm actually in my hotel room right now, acting like I'm a hitter looking at this pitch. <laughs> um, and uh, what's going to happen is it's going to stay flat and you're going to swing at something higher than you thought it was. Because the deception is that while you assume it's going to come down in the zone, it actually stays up. And you see him so much use this high fastball. We rarely see him late in counts go lower in the zone or even middle of the zone. It's, it's a lot of top of the zone stuff. And, and that's no secret. It's because the deception at the, in that spot is – really tough for hitters to read and leads to a ton of pop-ups right and and that was just fascinating to me because uh said outspoken just because in Doolittle's not so great appearances this year he has gotten hit and hit hard um and a lot of that from a fan perspective like us is just because he's throwing the same pitch over and over and over again but like you said from a hitter's perspective they have they see that spin on the ball and they, they think it, it's higher or lower than it actually is. So Doolittle do really has him right where he wants him. Um, but yeah. I, I, didn't, I, I did notice in the article Doolittle said that he um, throws it over and over and over again to get in the, the hitter's mind, but he can mix in a slider and a changeup to keep him off balance. Wouldn't throwing more sliders and changeups to keep him off balance – work more effectively than what he's doing now because in the article correct me if i'm wrong he's only thrown 30 sliders and 19 change-ups all season long yep that's true and yeah it's interesting because i also wonder like because that the effect of that isn't necessarily that like the slider or the change-up is a pitch that he wants to use um as like an out pitch necessarily or right. to get guys to swing and miss it's more like the the idea of it right like mm-hmm. okay there's a there's a 10% chance he's going to throw me a slider. And that's just in my head. I think he almost likes to keep it that way. If it was like a 30% chance, then you could prepare a little differently. If it was a 40% chance. But the fact that it's, it's so little, but it still kind of nags at you, I think is, is sort of the effect he wants. Um, it's like, you know, I'm almost positive he's not going to throw me a slider or change mm-hmm. up, but like I can't be 100% positive and sell out on the fastball. Um, and we've seen this year, like he got Freddie Freeman in Atlanta to end the game on a, on a slider. Um, he's actually – throwing a lot of sliders to Bryce Harper, which is interesting mm-hmm. because of how um, because of how aggressive he knows Bryce is with his swing. I think he showed him three sliders and two at bats, which, you know, for him is a really high number for one hitter. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, I don't I don't know how the psych how the psychology would change if like that number was, you know, sixty and thirty eight. Like if we doubled them, I'm not entirely sure how that would change the sort of reverse psychology he's going for. But I do know that mm-hmm. he sort of wants it as like a magician like coin behind the ear thing rather than like you know, a statistical possibility, if that makes sense. I don't right. know if it does. It, it, it's kind of all wacky <laughs> stuff. Yeah, um, it, it I think, is. I think until we're in the box, it's like hard to know what the hitter's thinking. Um, but it is like, 
it is really like a mind game. It's Howie Kendrick says in the article. It's like a, it's a complete mind game. Yeah, and the uh, I'm not sure if it was you or Doolittle or someone uh, made the analogy that it was like chocolate fudge that uh you, yeah you shouldn't have it, but sometimes you want it. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that that was just the the perfect analogy. And right, I, that I was want... a, that was opposing hitter who faced right. him. And he said oh, like, no, you. you shouldn't swing at this pitch, but like you have to because right. Like everyone yeah. dreams of like when, you, when you're in the backyard growing up, you dream of hitting a high fastball for the walk off home run, right? Right. Like that's, yeah, that's yeah exactly. And then, and then you pimp it. Like that's always <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and I don't want to hound on this too much. It, it was just right. the 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 one thing that that stuck out to me because I, I felt like a hot shot because I'm calling out Doolittle for throwing one pitch over and over again. So every time he has a bad outing, it's like a self confirming bias. And then I read your article and I feel like an idiot because what he, he, he knows what he's doing. He's a professional. I'm not. So it, it was just kind of uh, mind opening or eye opening uh, to me to, to see that. And I didn't realize it to being in Oakland. So that, that was pretty cool for me to, to see. And I, I hope everyone who hasn't gotten a chance to read the article gets a chance to read it because uh, it's some good Appreciate stuff. It. Yeah, um, and then in other bullpen news, Fernando Rodney got called up to replace Trevor Rosenthal, who was outright released. Um, I thought this was a bit surprising. Um, what type of role do you think Rodney's going to have in this bullpen? Clearly the eighth inning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, almost, I mean, I almost think it's like going to be like the role Rosenthal left behind, which is sort of like, we're going to really ease you in. We're going to stay away from you if we can. And then on the, day, on the third day in a row of playing, or like where everyone's taxed and it's a four-run four run lead. I mean, this is a very specific situation, but this is really what happened with Rosenthal in the last week. Um, if we have a four or five-run lead and you know everyone's down, then you're going to you're going to pitch. And if you pitch well in those spots, like you kind of layer that on top of your other outings to see if you can actually earn some high-leverage situations. But I don't expect him to like come in right now, like. Like, Wander Suero and Tanner Rainey are your setup men right now. That's become pretty apparent. And I think that he's in the boat where, like, he's almost like your last-ditch option with a chance to prove himself to do more. Um, okay. And I think, like, it's, it's very similar to what Trevor Rosenthal vacated as a role. It's just they're going to hope he's obviously more effective. Right. I mean, going from a 22.70 ERA to, like, a 9.5 ERA is an improvement, I guess. So <laughs> It is. It is. That, that, that is what we would call a marginal improvement for sure. <laughs> Good business. That's what we call emotional proof. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, it would, it, would, it, would, it would appear that that's better for sure. So uh, another sort of bullpen move and one that's just confused me. Granted, the Nats do plenty of things that, that confuse me um, is the whole Joe Ross situation. So obviously he's coming back or was coming back from injury in the offseason. Um, there's a lot of excitement about his return. So he starts a season in Fresno trying to essentially log starters innings. And then every single time he's come up here, he's been not only a bullpen guy, but an eighth inning guy. So if he's not working on becoming a bullpen guy in Fresno, but he's only a bullpen guy up here, how do the Nats ever expect him to be effective? It just confuses me. Yeah. And I, and you know, to be honest, like it probably confuses Joe, which is, the biggest right. problem here, right? Like, it's, yeah. Um, and, and I think, uh, I mean, I personally have said for a while now that I think he profiles really well as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, you know, a plus fastball and a plus slider, and he's really struggled throughout his career to, to, to hone in on a third pitch, which is an essential thing for us, for any starter. Whereas, 
I think he has the one-two punch to be an effective reliever. And in short spurts, he showed that this year. But I think what you're going to have to do eventually with him is like, you can't say, and maybe this is right now, you can't say every time he has a bad outing, he's a reliever, now he's a starter again. And then he has two bad starts and he's a reliever again. Like, eventually he's going to have to work through the growing pains. He's coming out of the bullpen or he's in the rotation. You're going to need him to figure it out and, like, fail. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it'd be okay that he fails because who, who does it, right? Like, but, but, but switching his role every time he hits a roadblock, that's, that's tough. It's tough on his arm, developmentally. I mean, it's tough because you know, he's working to get stretched out and then he's like, and then he's not. And then he's pushing everything into like one inning and then he's back to one five innings. I think it's just physically is, is not the best idea. And then, um, and just from like a mental standpoint, I think it's hard to not know what your role is and what you're working toward. Um, because now like they're, they're, they're making him a starter again and uh, he's going to have to work on that third pitch again. Whereas maybe when he was relieving, he was really honing in on his fastball and slider and working on how this sort of ramps his velocity and, you know, in small situations and whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But now it's back to another focus. Um, and I will say one thing that I think he could be really effective as, and it's sort of a role that's getting phased out by, by role changes after this year. But, like, if you looked at his splits against righties in April and May, he was, like, as close as you can have to, like, a, almost like a righty specialist in a weird way. It's not mm-hmm. really a role. We really only think of lefty specialists. But there was a while there where Dave Martinez was plugging him in just for, like, one batter against, you know, name your top righty in the division or in, on the opposing team. And it was actually a really effective role. And when you think about matching up in like a seventh race inning situation with a guy like Tony Sipp or Matt Grace, I mean, whatever the options are, like he actually was really dominant against righties. His slider and fastball play really well. So uh, I kind of like that role for him. Uh, but I, again, like you got to pick a path. So, right. I mean, I, I think they're, I think the nationals are going to go starter now, but at the same time, like, I don't think we can be sure because they flip flop so much on him. Right. And you brought up, I mean, several good points there, but the one that started out to me, uh, or stood out to me, yeah, I mean, obviously it's tough on him to not what know what his role is, but more than that, it's just back and forth between the big league club and Fresno, which is, I mean, no, it's not like <clears throat> Potomac, which is right down the road. It's literally all the way across the country. So he's literally back and forth. And then, like you said, he doesn't know his role. It just, they, they need to yeah. pick a path because this carousel of Voth, Fetty, Ross is just, it can't be easy on any of them. No, for sure. And like, and all these guys, I mean, I think Kyle McGowan in there too. Right. Austin Bo's the only one out of that group that's just been a starter so far. And, you know, I could definitely see a situation where Jeremy Hellickson gets healthy or, or Fetty figures it out in Harrisburg, but they want both stuff in the bullpen and they even use him there. And I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with that or I think they should do that, but, you know, but the way they've managed arms this year, it's sort of been like this best 25 available mentality. And like, let me put roles yeah. aside and, and use, or you know, if you think of it from a pitching perspective, it would be like best 13. You know, it's like, it's been very right. much that mindset, which is, which is different. I mean, I think the Nationals know the benefit of um, having as many good pitchers as possible. I, I think you also consider that, like, in their staff right now, if you consider the top four sort of mainstays, only one is, you know, homegrown and developed. And I think when you think about having to develop, you know, starters on your, on your turf and, and in your system, flipping them back and forth between the bullpen isn't really going to be the way to do that. So to improve in that area, I think they need to be a little more streamlined in their thought process. But at the same time, like the bullpen's been scrambling so much this year that it's hard to also blame them for saying, if this guy can get out, then like we're not going to leave him in Fresno. Right. I mean, I don't think anyone blames them for like the bullpen, but it certainly seems evident that they have no clue what they're doing either. 
Well, right. speaking of, <laughs> oh, sorry, Jimmy. Yeah, speaking of the Nats not knowing what they're doing, um, we've heard a lot of mixed reports. Now everything's a little quiet on the Rendon front. Um, where do you think things are standing right now with contract extensions with Rendon? Yeah, it has been, and um, I think that's a mix of um, as of you know as of recording this, Mike Rizzo has not talked to reporters in a while. Um, it's typically our time to ask him about that. And, and while answers aren't always the most informative, of course, like we do sometimes get a better idea of where things may be. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Nats are coming up on the trade deadline this year. Only one shot at that with the, with the waiver period eliminated. So I think decisions going to have to come soon if they're going to potentially look for trades. I think they probably learned their lesson last year with Bryce that, you know, you can lose a guy and, and get nothing for it. And yep. if they think there's a chance that, a Rendon deal is not going to get done while they still have their exclusive rights to him, then, you know, that's, that, that's something they need to consider is, is what kind of package can you get? That said, mm-hmm. if you look at like the package for Manny Machado last year, who's a more valuable piece than Rendon as a midseason acquisition, like it's not really that glamorous. Um, there's obviously no downside to stockpiling talent and taking a chance on guys, but at the same time, like you're then sacrificing the fact that you're the only team that could negotiate with him through the end of October, which mm-hmm. is a very sort of powerful weapon to, wheel there. I mean, it obviously didn't go well with Bryce, but they were able to make a competitive offer, um, depending on how you see it, um, before anyone else could talk to him, which is, you know, that's a unique position to be in. So, um, I think the decision now is whether they're going to try and hit the gas on this from a negotiation standpoint or start fielding offers if, if they don't think they're going to be in contention. But you think about being three and a half out of the wild card and eight out of the division, you know, in, in late June, it's, it's not the best situation to be in, but it's also not insurmountable. So I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pulls on that, but in terms of contract talks and, and um, you know, public-facing information, that's certainly quiet, for sure. Right, and you brought up a, a one point that I think is going under the radar, not just with the Nats, but all of baseball in particular, is that there's only one trade deadline this year. So, like, if you just go back to last year with the Nats, they kind of bought, like, before the deadline with the Kelvin Herrera deal, but then they realized they were probably too far out of it but they didn't really do anything at the deadline. And then the waiver deadline, you saw pieces sold off. Um, they can't do that this year. So they really got to choose one way or another, and they can't afford to stand pat one way or another, whether they want to buy or sell. Um, sure. That, that, that being said, what do you envision them doing? Cause I know we've been playing better baseball as of late, but I've always had the mindset that buying or standing pat at this year's deadline in particular is not, conducive to good baseball in our future just because we have nothing in the farm system sure and i I think if you i mean you're you're not going to make a splash like going out and getting like a top guy but Mm. if you look at the package for kelvin herrera last year like those guys and it's a very slim chance those guys become anything they were pretty low level prospects like the nets certainly have that like there is a gap between Carter Keboom, Luis Garcia, and then, like, the next wave for the names. Like, that's a problem mm-hmm. in their system, that there is a pretty, like, yawning gap between the top guys and sort of the next tier that are sort of the dealable um, players at, at a trade deadline. But like, mm-hmm. but, like, when teams are selling off, like, if you're the Royals or the Mariners, and, like, I don't have a list in front of me exactly of, like, which relievers on those teams are, like, valuable or, or effective. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're not looking for, like, a Carter Keboom at the deadline. Like, you're just mm-hmm. looking to, like, offload this guy, maybe save, like, Six million to the end of the year, and in, in, you know, in, in salary, and then you know, get get a long shot prospect that like probably is going to end up in the Rule Five draft soon anyway. Like it's it's not mm-hmm. 
it's not like um, you're going to put together some like amazing package. You're not going after like Trevor Bauer here or something. Um, whereas I think the Nets could make sort of like a Kelvin Herrera type deal if they think they're in it and, uh, and not really feel that their system got hit too hard. Um, that said, like if these next couple weeks go poorly and um, you know, they have a really soft schedule before the, before the all-star break. So I, I don't foresee them slipping out of the race before before the break but if they do happen to go extremely poorly and the Braves keep winning and it looks like you know they're not going to be able to close the gap then then yeah I mean there are a lot of guys on one-year deals on your roster that would be attracted to contenders you think about Brian Dozier Matt Adams um Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a ton I mean it's and you Howie Kendrick even Howie Kendrick right you could you could easily you know and like you saw Matt Adams last year they, they they sold him in August and then turned around and then And then they turned around with Matt Adams in, um, you know, in the winter and got him back. So it's not like that would you know, preclude you from, from doing that. So I don't know. There's a lot of directions to go in. I think it's going to be decided by how they, how they go into the break and how they come out of it. But at the same time, like, the roster is definitely set up in a way that there are guys they can sell off. And then at the same time, they also, I think, have the prospects to make sort of a marginal deal. Not, not, something, not a huge splash, but one that could improve them, you know, on the edges. Yeah, I, I just hope whatever it is, it's the right move. I mean, I know that's easier said than done, but it just it seems like, especially with the, the deadline deals in the past couple of years, um, it does not seem like we've won many of those trades. Like, obviously, the Doolittle one, we got Doolittle, which is great, but you look how Trinan was last year. I know he's hurt this year. And then the uh, Luzardo, who's the top lefty starter prospect in baseball, I mean, it's not going to look good in a couple of years, so. Easier said right. than done, but I hope they do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a fine line there. It's tough. I mean, like, that do-it-all trade, it's like, if you never make the postseason with him, or make a big run, sorry, like, again, and like, mm-hmm. and then it's going to look really rough to lose a guy like Lozardo. If do is getting you out in the NLCS or World Series, hypothetically, down the line, then like, it doesn't matter. That's probably yeah. worth it. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the push and pull, but like, if you don't build around a guy like that, then you gave up a top prospect for a piece that ultimately didn't matter. So that, that's tough. I mean, that's, but it takes other parts of the roster, of course, and the full roster building. I mean, you can't look at any move in a vacuum, but, um, right. but yeah, I'd say like that's, that's when that pays off, but it's, it's interesting. I mean, you're right. It's, it's, you can always, it's, it's interesting to look back at past deadline moves and say like, how can they avoid that now? Because we are afforded that hindsight on past ones and then we can sort of project in the future. So it's kind of a fun game to play. Kind, yeah. kind of a kind of a uh, torturous team to play. But, yeah, uh, yeah, we have plenty of time. We play it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we have time for one more question. Um, so Ryan Zimmerman is going to be coming back soon, but they're going to have to clear a roster spot. Who do you think is going to be moved? Will we see Michael Taylor get sent down, or would Harada Para be the odd man out when Zim returns? Well, as of right now, the Nats have an eight-man bullpen, so they could hypothetically keep both those guys and then have a bench of let's say if Zimmerman's in the lineup have a bench of Howie Kendrick Matt Adams a catcher Michael Taylor and Gerardo Parra and then go with the seven-man bullpen if the Nats want to keep an eight-man bullpen and bring Zimmerman back then you're looking at a situation where you're going to have to move one of those guys in order to make room for him as you mentioned Michael A. Taylor has minor league options uh Gerardo Parra obviously if you if you DFA him then you're he's at risk of getting you know added on waivers mm-hmm. um it's a tough situation i don't think the nets will put themselves in it i think what they'll do is go with seven men bullpen and a five-man bench um mm-hmm. hoping that rodney or whoever is in that seventh spot is going to uh 
be useful enough where they can spread out innings between seven arms and not feel totally taxed. I mean, the idea of an eight-man bullpen for most of the season was twofold. It was one, because they were scrambling, a lot of the guys were struggling, and they needed as many options as possible. And it was also because their fourth and fifth starters, Anibal Sanchez and Jeremy Hellickson, were struggling for much of the year, and they needed a backup on those days to provide length and you know, two, three-inning appearance if those guys faltered in the third or fourth or whatever it was. Um, you've sort of figured out that second problem. Um, the first problem is definitely at risk of popping back up. If guys like Matt Grace and Javi Guerra and Tanner Rainey start to struggle, um, Wander Suero, Tony Sipp, I mean, you need seven guys who can all pitch um, all the time. You can't really have a bullpen at seven if one guy's not available. Um, mm-hmm. So, but w- when it comes to Zim, I would say that it would probably be a five man bench and they'll keep Taylor in par for now. Both those guys have, um, have, you know, they're valuable in some ways. They, um, you know, they're, they sort of, they, they hurt you in other ways. If you think of Michael Taylor's offense being a deficiency at a lot of points, but um, I think they'll, they'll keep a five man bench and avoid having to let go of one of them right now. Yeah. I think that would be the smart thing going forward. So hopefully they do that. Um, Nick, do you have one more question for Jesse? All right. So one uh, last question I ask anyone we interview is uh, if you were, in control, your GM, president, owner, whatever, um, and you can make one shakeup in the organization, whether it's personnel change, uh, trade, free agent signing, whatever it may be, to rid us of the mediocrity that has plagued us for seasons now. What's your big shakeup that you're making? It's interesting. I mean, I think this this team right now is like built to compete. It's it's close. It's it's close. I don't, I don't think it needs anything crazy. I mean, you think you have three frontline starters, um, mm-hmm. assuming Patrick Corbin stays on the path here. You have a, you have a really talented offense. I mean, pretty up and down the order. Um, so I, mean, it's, I, I hate to keep harping on it, but if I could do one thing right now to say, I want to, you know, push this team in the right direction and over the hump, it, it has to be in the bullpen. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I would have probably, I would have said sign Craig Kimbrell if this was, <laughs> you know, three weeks ago. And then yeah. use Sean Doolittle as a, uh, as sort of like uh, your your queen on the chessboard, use him in yeah, all the Yeah, flex guy, yeah. Um, he'd be great in that role, sort of like an Andrew Miller type. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, now saying Kimbrough's off the table, I mean, I guess if I can make any deal, then let's go let's go trade for him or something. You know, like, but, uh, but, <laughs> but I do crazy think you need, need a dominant <laughs> – you need a dominant high leverage arm in the back of your bullpen. You need, you need a second one because if you think of how a lot of contenders are built, it's not just a closer. Like you think of the Astros or you think of the Yankees or you think of, you know, the Red Sox last year, they're, these guys, mm-hmm. they're running a lot of dominant arms out of the bullpen. And I don't think you can, you can't function or compete or get yourself out of the mediocrity, as you said, with just assuming we're going to like cross our fingers and hold on until we get to the ninth inning every night. Um, <laughs> you, need, you need someone to help build that bridge. And, um, so I, that's what I would do, but it wouldn't just be like a Kelvin Herrera. If I could make any deal, it would be like a, mm-hmm. a splash move for a dominant all-star reliever to pair with Sean Doolittle. And maybe they share the closer duties. You go on matchups, whatever it is. But um, I think thinking of bullpen usage, um, you know, a bit more unconventionally uh, and, uh, and, and sort of using these guys in hybrid roles, uh, I think could go a long way. And, and of course you need that second arm, but that's what I would do. Right-hander too. I would, it would be a right-hander. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you made a good point. Like if you just look at the Red Sox just last year, I mean, Chris Sale got the final out of the World Series and it's not like he right. went CG. He came out of the bullpen because the Red Sox needed a, a big 
powerful arm out of the bullpen and they flex Chris Sale in that role. Obviously it's the World Series and it's a little bit different, but I mean same concept. Right, like the same concept applies. Too. Right, yeah. Uh, same same exact thing and then um yeah. all that. But if we want to get back to reality, same concept. Ownership has been so adamant about staying under the luxury tax to reset the tax penalties. Basically any acquisition at the deadline where we buy is going to push us over that threshold and we're going to get taxed again. So do you really see the Nats even being able to buy if ownership's that adamant about staying under? I think given how this year's gone, if if the Nats pull themselves up and make a push, like if they're, let's say they're like a few games over at the break and, and playing well, um, I could see them going a bit over the tax for sure. I mean, I think eventually you have to realize like, yes, there's benefits to resetting it and you save yourself money, but at the same time, like the overage fees are negligible, especially exactly. if you're over by it's like 1.5 like million or something. Right. And I don't see them like blowing out of the water and going like, you know, 15 over 20 over and paying $10 million extra. But if you go like a couple million over and you're paying the end of a salary on a reliever, like Will Smith from the giants or someone like that, then mm-hmm. like, and you're, and you're just over, I, I don't think that's totally out of the question. Right. And I mean, I still think they should sell, but to play advocate to buying, I mean, you have so much money coming off the books next year anyways, that you're in all likelihood going to be under, even if you do have some free agent acquisitions in the off season, you're more than likely going to be under anyway. So if you're that hell bent on resetting the tax, I mean, it's basically just a one year delay if you want to, to, to buy at the deadline. So who knows? And that's always seemed to surprise us with whatever they do, but for Should sure. be interesting. Yeah, if you guys hear what's going on, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, got you. Yeah, we'll be your sources. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have. Uh, Nick, do you have anything else you want to add? Nope. Uh, other than the Nats are roller coaster of torture. That's about it. Yeah. Um, let's hope these next 11 versus the Marlins, Royals, and Tigers go well. Um, once again, thank you very much to Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. You can find him at Doherty underscore Jesse on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow for all your Nats news and information. Uh, thank you so much, Jesse. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank yeah you thanks, Jesse. All right. Well, we want to thank Jesse for joining us. Um, Nick Ryan, you guys want to share some thoughts with everybody about the interview? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, first all, first of all, like obviously we've done a couple of interviews before, but this one kind <clears throat> of like I was a little bit nervous just because I mean this is a pretty common name. Uh, obviously, he works for the Washington Post. He posts a lot of articles about the Nats, so I was a little bit nervous because I wasn't sure how he was going to interact with us. <laughs> Uh, just because we're just like, we're just a podcast. I mean, we're not uh, like ESPN or anything like that, but Jesse was very, very cool to talk to. And uh, during the interview, Ryan and I were mentioning that we just, we didn't want to stop talking to him. Like it was such a fun conversation, fun interview that we just want, we wish we had more time. Um, So we'll have to have him back on the show. Yeah. um, We recorded that Tuesday before the Marlins series. Um, Jesse's absolutely, he's great. Um, after the interview ended, he texted me some Nationals news because they called out Johnny Venters. So I have a source now. Therefore, I am better than every single <laughs> one of you. I just want that out there. Um, Jesse is but the man. But now you just told everybody who your source is. 
<laughs> yeah, that's how confident I am in my source. I want everyone to know who my source is. <laughs> Hashtag journalism. <That's> <laughs> <laughs> Big J journalism. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah thank you again, Jesse, for joining us. That was awesome. We'll have to do it again soon. <clears throat> All right, Ryan, the All-Star yes. rosters came out today. You want to give us a recap? Yes, they did. So I'm going to quickly run through the entire rosters for those of you who have not seen it on Twitter. Starting with the American League starters, we have Jorge Polanco, DJ LeMayu, should have been that, Carlos Santana, Gary Sanchez, Hunter Pence for DH. Then we got Mike Trout, Michael Brantley, George Springer, Alex Bregman. The pitchers, there's a lot of them this year. We have John Means, Shane Green, Marcus Stroman, Jake Odorizzi, Charlie Morton, Brad Hond, I will never say hand, Lucas Giolito, Aralda Chapman, Mike Miner, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Ryan Presley. And then we move to the reserves. We have Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, James McCann, Whit Merrifield, Matt Chapman, Daniel Vogelbach, Austin Meadows, Joey Gallo, Tommy Listella, Jose Abreu, and Francisco Lindor. So that rounds out the American League roster. I am shocked Xander Bogarts did not make it. But we move to the National League where we have our starters. We have Nolan Arenado, Javi Baez, Catel uh, Marte, Butch his name, I am so sorry. I know you're listening, Marte. Freddie Freeman, Wilson <laughs> Contreras, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, Ronald Acuna Jr. And then we have the pitchers. We have Luis Castillo, Sandy Alcantara, Kirby Yates, Will Smith, some dude named Max Scherzer, Hun Jin Ryu, Zach Greinke, Mike Soroka, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Jacob DeGrom, Josh Hader. We move to the reserves. We have Mike Moustakis, Chris Bryant, Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, Trevor Story, Yaz Money, Ron Dahl, Jeff McNeil, Paul DeYoung, Josh Bell, JT Realmuto, Pete Alonzo, and Anthony Rendon is making his first all-star appearance. And those and are Soto the got rosters. <clears throat> yeah. Soto yeah. should have been on there. Soto easily could have been on there, but I don't have too many problems uh, with the selection. Um, one thing I will say is that Mookie Betts and Jacob deGrom are in there for name only. They're not having all-star seasons. That's just That was just funny to me, and Ryan mentioned it, that I don't know how Mookie Betts made it over Xander Bogarts because Xander Bogarts is actually probably the best shortstop this year, but somehow he didn't... he also has a spectacular name. Yeah, he does. Um, but somehow he like missed out on every single aspect of the All Star voting. But <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but yeah, biggest story is Rendon's making his first appearance. It's also well well deserved. Although, did you hear him get answer questions after the announcements were made today? If I go. Every, every question. <laughs> yeah, every question he answered, he ended it with, if I decide to go. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see if he even goes after all of this. Yeah. Lots of talk um, about whether he ought to be selected, but he doesn't really seem to care. That was the best part. Like, all these Nats fans were losing their minds and, like, so proud that he finally made it. The dude doesn't care. Like, I'm so sorry, Anthony. This is a terrible time for you and your family that you're an all-star. You don't get that week off. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, man. Yeah. So Indeed. do we think, does Max start the all-star game? I think he should. And that's not just homerism, although I am a huge no. homer for Max Scherzer. But 
I think he should start. He's been the hottest pitcher in baseball in the last what? I don't month, yeah, five weeks. Think he does either. Um, not because he doesn't deserve it. He's insane right now. Um, I just think because he started last year is like they'll mix it up, and I don't think he'll have a problem with that either. Um, I think the guy who gave up seven runs in his ERA ballooned to one eight is going to be the All Star starter. It's going to be Ryu. Ryu is the best pitcher yeah. in baseball this year. Also, the Dodgers have three starting pitchers making the All Star team. Stupid. Yeah, you could argue that uh, <laughs> Kershaw got in on name alone as well, but he's oh, it, it's a, a, a he's always a legacy season. vote. Yeah, but he's he's having a better year than Degrom at least. Well, if you guys haven't already seen these uh, rosters, you can find them all over Twitter. Maybe we can send them out from the uh, the podcast account. So anybody who hasn't seen them, yet, uh, hey, that's them asking out. a lot. Hey, I took the pictures that MLB tweeted. So boom, there you go. <laughs> I can say I'll suggest that because I don't use the account that is for the for the pod. So I'm make, putting that work on you guys. <laughs> it'd be it'd be kind of funny if uh, the All Star Game starters were uh, Scherzer versus Giolito. <laughs> oh, just just saying. <laughs> Hurts me in my soul. <laughs> oh. They'd be so good. I wish they could play together. Yeah. Yeah, mm. me too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're not having the eaten conversation, we said, so we're going to leave that alone. All right. Let's go ahead and do our Twitter questions for the week. We've got um, several, and then our worst tweet of the week is a good one. You guys are going to like it. All right, so the first one comes from at DC, and it is, how can we possibly buy? We have a 1988 Buick Skyhawk for salary cap room and a couple of sweet prospects that we shouldn't even think of trading away unless we want to throw away our future. So, I mean, it, 1988 is now considered a classic, so that's worth some money. So I don't know what this guy's <laughs> talking about. Uh <laughs> Jesse touched up with this on the interview. He he mentioned the um, the trade they made last year for Calvin Herrera. Just pretty good point. They gave up nothing for him, so they're gonna buy. They're gonna buy on some reliever and just offer like three or four guys who are no names whatsoever. And then, like he said, the money won't be as bad. And then they're just gonna hope it works out. Yeah, they'll do yeah. what they did in like the uh, Adam Eaton deal and just offer a bunch of no-name prospects that don't come back and bite us in the ass by any means. Free real estate. <laughs> Free real estate. <laughs> wow. Who's the happiest man in the world right now? It's Jason Worth because you guys are no longer obsessed with bashing him. It's 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 Eaton now. Who? <laughs> Actually, we have a Worth reference later in this. So, all right, at Sure's Day. Pal of the show is anyone better than Max? No, no. The answer to that is no. Yes, no, Chili's better than Max. No, Max. The only thing you guys are right more now. obsessed with than Max is, or than Eaton is Chili's. There's definitely a Chili's obsession. When are they going to sponsor the show? I want my baby back, baby back. I actually went to Chili's when I was in Pennsylvania this weekend. It's still good. Oh. Can't confirm. I hung Can't out with Terry on Friday. I was at Chili's. Nice. All I right. mean, ever since we started promoting Chili's, the Nats have been like the best team <laughs> in baseball. So, so doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. So, because we all know that correlation is causation. So, there. <laughs> yep. Facts. All right, our pal at One Lovely Lady C, who will be joining us. Wait, wait. On can the we pause? Can 
can you imagine a world where Nats Park sells the naming rights to Chili's? <laughs> <laughs> I would go insane. Chili's Park? I don't. I I can't see it. Nationals Park at Chili's Field, and then every single every single place in the stadium sells a five dollar frozen strawberry margarita. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> if this doesn't happen, I'm never going again. <laughs> I am boycotting All the right. team until this happens. <laughs> All right, oh, gentlemen, man. pull it together. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have two tonight from at one lovely lady C. The first one is: Will Gomes get any better in the second half based on his past performances, or will he continue to struggle like this? I saw a very interesting stat about him because, you know, I like stats. In his career in the first half, he's a 227, 281, 387 slash line. He has a 77 WRC plus in his career in the first half. In the second half of his career, he's a 273, 317, 462 hitter with a 110 WRC plus. And he also has a, um, a positive weighted runs average. So maybe after the All-Star break, Jan Gomes isn't going to be Matt Wieters anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, let us I pray. mean, that definitely speaks to his offensive numbers, but he still looks so bad behind the plate. Which like is just so weird. yesterday or the day before, like he and Tony Sip got crossed up. Yeah, another <laughs> like, pass ball. It's again. crazy. He's it's literally like, there. He's he, like crap he's like what he's like what he's like what does this number do (laughs) (laughs) he just lets the pitcher throw and he has no clue i don't know it's bizarre though because i mean the guy if you look at what he did in milwaukee i mean he just he doesn't even seem like the same guy and the defensive not the defensive metrics are cleveland i mean sorry i got my uh, midwestern areas mixed up so he just when you look at his his career numbers defensively, he's just so far off what you expect from him this year. And I, there's I mean, no the way dude was an all star last year. Yeah, there's just like, no way. Literally to last it. year, yeah. he was he was defensively he was the second best catcher in baseball last year, and this year yeah. he's been one of the worst. Like it's so weird. It makes me wonder if he's hurt or if there's something going on. It's just inexplicable. You just can't figure I out. Think why. We have a curse chilies. of the catchers. <laughs> like, the curse of the catchers. Yeah, he's got Matt Weeders. Yeah, curse of the catchers. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had ever, a good catcher since like Jesus Flores. Ever since Wilson Ramos tore his ACL, they've all been terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, Wilson well, Ramos couldn't play know. defense, but but Suzuki yeah. though is you know I wish Suzuki were younger and could play every day because he's been he's been great. He's been right. good. He's yeah, been you really just, good. You got to be careful with his with his uh, workload, but yeah, he's been great. Yeah, and I, I love seeing him. He and Max, it seems like since he's been catching Max exclusively, you've seen Max go on this tear. I love the way he calls a game. He seems to just have a great a, you know, a great way of communicating with the pitchers. They seem to always be on the same page. And, and then at the plate, he's been great too. What's not to like except for the fact that he can't play every day? Yeah, I agree. All right. The next question is, if the Nats do make a run, what do y'all think will be key? One batter and one pitcher, whether it be a starting or relief pitcher. It's one one word. Bullpen. The bullpen is the reason why this team's 500 right now. (laughs) Just add a person. One batter and one pitcher. Okay. Well, Amanda, 
like Nick said last week, but that got edited out, so it's going to get edited out again. <laughs> um, can, you imagine, can you imagine where the Nats would have been if they signed like Adam Olivino instead of stupid Trevor Rosenthal? Oh my God. And like DJ LeMahieu Le Le oh. instead of Brian Dozier? Oof. There would be way more hitting and way less twerking in this team if we had. Oh, okay. that was the Yo, weird, that was that so was the weirdest video. I <laughs> was uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember seeing that, that going, was... what the hell? Uh, that was almost mom, as bad mom, as come pick me up, telling... I'm scared. That was, that was almost as bad as FP telling Bob that he'll nail his daughter. Yeah, that was. Uh, I couldn't. I, I almost. I almost like. I almost like lost consciousness, wheezing. I laughed so hard when that happened. Oh man! All right. Well, to answer the question, the one batter will be Trey Turner if he can figure it out. Yes. That's going to be that's huge um, because he's going to be on on base and uh, like obviously a threat to steal bases on his own and advance himself and not need the guy behind him to advance him. And obviously he can pretty much score from first on a single because he's that fast. Uh, but the one pitcher, it will be a bullpen guy. So, yeah, Ryan, I see where Ryan is going. If we can just get one guy to step up um, for, for a hot second there, we thought it was Tanner Rainey. It doesn't look yeah. like it's Tanner Rainey. He is uh, my guy, though. If I'm going to say one guy to figure it out, it would be Rainey because he looked for a minute like he could be a, a legit setup guy to get the ball to – to See, do little. I, I, I don't I don't know who, who it would be. Yeah. I mean, maybe it still is Henry, but I don't think they have him. I I I don't think they have him either. Uh cuz like I want it could be Swero, it could be Rainey, it could be I'm not going to say Rodney. Uh God, we suck. <laughs> Somebody take that out of context. Just God, we suck. The bullpen's terrible. So if I had to pick yeah. one guy, though, it would be Rainey. If Rainey could figure it out in the bullpen and Turner can figure it out at the plate, I think they could make a run. Uh, way to be really original. Will Smith. It's Will Smith. Will Smith. Fresh Prince. That's the key. That's the key. His uh, he can he can strike out Bryce in his uh walk up or not his walk up song or his walk out song from the bullpen can be Fresh Prince Bel Air. That'd be pretty funny. There we go. That's hard hitting analysis. Sweet. I know the Nats have eight people with an ERA over nine on their team. Jesus, how is that possible? How is Uh, that? It's including it's including everyone who's come up. Oh, okay. Well, I was like. You could have just stopped after everyone. It's including everyone. (laughs) If if your name isn't Doolittle, it's just everybody. Yeah. What? Yeah, the bullpen talk is depressing. Okay, let's go to something fun, which is our worst tweet of the week. I have a drum roll, please. Oh, I see. It was a solo drum roll. Oh, there it is. All right. And that's Curly W says. In regards to Worth being a coach, he should be a coach just because of his hair. Oh, and the fact that he built good team rapport. I love that he says, oh, like he's surprised. Oh, yeah. Also. Did you say rapport? Rapport. Rapport. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Ian Rappaport. I was going back to the beginning of the sentence. Ian Rappaport. No. Anyway. Yeah. So I don't know why people can't get over this. Listen, at Nats Curly W, thank you for. Thank you for your tweet, but to all Being of the people dumb. who think he should be coach, 
Worth should not be a coach. Stop it. Stop it right now. Get some help. Anyone who says Worth should be a coach will automatically be the worst three of the week. That's just that's just how it's gonna work. Well, see like, now you're gonna get just, everybody to just do it just so they get to be the worst tweet of the week. See what you've done. Just because you are not saying Worth is a good player, let me preface by saying that. But just because you are a good player, or the fact that you've played Major League Baseball, does not automatically make you a good coach. Like Example look at Dave Martinez. <laughs> Dave Martinez, Matt Williams, like yeah, all these guys. F.P. Santangelo. They, yeah, they're like, oh, I've played Major League Baseball. I can coach. That's not a thing. So just because you are delusional and think Worth had this great career, he did not. Um, he does not even deserve to be in the Ring of Honor, but that's a separate conversation. Uh, like, just because you think he had this great career and he had one big moment in Nat's history that that was positive – that does not qualify him to be a manager and especially a first time manager. Like, yeah. Cause that's yeah. worked out. Have we so not well had enough us. with first time managers? Please no more. Jesus. first time It's like yes. they, Nat, these, these Nats fans that are like lobbying for worth to be the manager. They're just so unable to like think out of the box and think, originally that they have to go back to like recency bias and go to worth like in two you years people. I'm gonna what say, you meant to say is you people you people you people <laughs> what do you mean you people in, in, in two years they're gonna say they're gonna be like lobbying for zim to be the manager because they don't they yes. can't think of anyone else there's people doing that already people are like fire davy and let zim retire and be the manager i've seen it on twitter it's a thing the only player i would let be manager is max scherzer Oh, I would let I would let Max Scherzer take any role with the team he wants to be like, dude, just whatever you want. Yeah. Just stick around. You yeah. do whatever you feel. <laughs> yeah. Pretty How's he going to coach when he's on the Yankees? Oh, you know what? <laughs> this is a the family Nats podcast. Are, the Nats I can't will, say the, the things I want to say right now. offer him a deferred contract to pay him to be their manager while playing for a different team. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be nice to still be getting a couple million bucks a year when I'm 60. It doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> Just go pitch for the Nats, and then they'll pay you $9 million and cut you. Yeah, you know, you I went to one of those minors. fan day things they do for season ticket holders once where they let you pitch, like, in the bullpen, and you get to throw, and, and they'll you know, have coaches back there to catch it. Turns out I'm not that good of a pitcher, <laughs> actually. Never would have guessed. Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably almost as bad as Trevor Rosenthal. Pretty bad. Couldn't find the strike zone. Oof. Anyway. Sheesh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> On that super interesting note, you guys got anything else? Um, I, I have nothing for it's you. It's the nada. Zip. Zero. Nada. No trust. <laughs> Liar. Wow. If the Nats don't oh. win at least four games over the next six, I'm going to Chili's. If the Nats, if the Nats win don't six go, games or zero games, you're going to Chili's. It doesn't matter. You're if the Nats don't go seven wins within the next six games, I'm going to Chili's. <laughs> All right. I'll literally go to Chili's. Chili's, me if you're listening Chili's. to this, we need a sponsor. Do it, Chili's. Just do it. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Um, next week, we're going to have some fun stuff. I think we're going to have – next week, we're going to do it. Have uh, 
if she can do it at one lovely lady C join us on the show. Mm-hmm. We really yeah, appreciate all of you guys. She will be joining us so. on Half Street High. What's her name again? Half yep. Street High Heat presented by Chili's. <laughs> presented by Chili's. We're going to have a hard-hitting conversation about who's better, Iron Man or Captain America. It's going to be really fascinating. You guys do not want to miss it. And by hard-hitting, there actually might be physical violence. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to hear Nick punching holes in this wall. It's going to be good. No, I'll mute myself. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Hope you guys enjoyed the show this week. Um, We will uh, do it again, of course, next Sunday. So you guys can listen to it on Monday. Hopefully we'll drop this one earlier in the day. I think it was a little bit late last week. Um, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us reviews. We really appreciate it. Again, you can find me on Twitter at awhite7877. You can get Nick and Ryan at DC Natchak and the show at Half Street High Heat. Um, don't forget to check out the dmdsportsnetwork.com as well and hit them up on Twitter at dmd underscore sn. And if you want to join the team, you can send them a DM or contact them via the website. Thanks for listening, and uh, guys, we will talk next week. See you later. Later. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.